Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And these episodes are different because we're recording during COVID-19 pandemic, which means we are physically distancing, we're not in the same room, and we're not using our professional equipment that we normally use. So our audio might be different than what you're used to, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am super duper excited about our guest today. Um, Brittany De La Creta. They, them pronouns, is a queer Jew and freelance writer whose work focuses on the intersections of sports, gender, and queerness. They have a book forthcoming from Bold Type Books about the National Women's Football League. They live in Boston, and you can follow them on Twitter at DLC, and we will put that in the post of the episode. Hi, Brittany. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks so much for being here. Um, this is like a big question, but how are you? <laughs> and however you want to answer that is so great. I'm okay. My book is due in 13 days. Wow. So I'm a little bit stressed. I am, I can't imagine. And I'm honored that you made the time to talk to us today. It's a nice break from staring at a pile of words that don't seem to make sense. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? Like, how do you, I can't, I'm like, I'm, everyone, I'm doing air quotes, writing a book, which just means I have a lot of Google Docs open and I don't have like a contract or anything, but it's tough. What's your, how do you get through that? I don't know. It's funny. I have a co-author. Uh, her name is Lindsay Darkangelo and she's also a queer sports writer. And we have such different styles. I am like, I work in these spurts of a few days where I like vomit out all of this material and she has been like diligently plugging away a little bit every day for like a year and I of course waited way too long and I'm like throwing stuff at the document right now mm -hmm. so very different writing styles but the nice thing is I think we respect each other's work a lot and are good friends and we both kind of trust that the end product will get there because we each have our own like way of doing things. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It must be really nice to have that trust as part of the process. Otherwise, I would imagine it would be much more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've never worked together on anything before this. And it was kind of trial by fire. And luckily, it's worked out. Oh, that's really, that's really lucky. <laughs> yeah. um, so we all have coming out stories or ways that we come into ourselves and into our own. Um, and so whatever, however that means to you, I'd love to just kind of dive in and hear hear from you about that. Yeah. So I don't know that I have like one kind of coming out story. I think of it less as like an explicit coming out and more as like a deepening and evolution of knowing who I am. I knew I was queer in college. Um, I started hooking up with 
women shortly after getting to school and kind of immediately was like, I guess this means I'm bi because that was the language I had. And it was like, okay, cool. And I just sort of started talking about myself that way. Um, I didn't have a lot of queer friends who weren't cis gay men. And so I was sort of in that space and they were accepting of me. And um, I just started talking to my mom as if like, this is my girlfriend and she pretended she didn't hear me. And we just sort of (laughs) all moved on. Um, I feel a little bit like coming out as non-binary has been similar because aside from talking about my change in pronouns, the way I've engaged with my own like femme identity and gender presentation has kind of already aligned with that framework. I've, so I've sort of already brought myself to the place and just kind of gone with what, what felt right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably for me, like the biggest piece around like coming out or coming to understand myself has been around understanding like my desire and like what my queerness looks like, the shape of it, because you know, I I got divorced last year. I was married to a cishet man for in a relationship with him for almost ten years, mm-hmm. and I was openly queer when we met. Um, he met he met me when I was out with my ex girlfriend. He knew these things about me, um, but I didn't understand at that time that like my own queerness excluded cis men, and I think that's because I'm attracted to masculinity and like we have so few representations mainstream of like the spectrum of gender and all of the different ways that masculinity and femininity and everything can look that I had only been exposed to like this one model and it was straight men. And so I kind of assumed that my queerness like included that. Um, And it wasn't until after I walked into a space full of like queer people that I had intentionally sought out and like something inside my chest rearranged. I felt Mm. it go like, oh, oh wait, that makes sense. And it, it just all of the like mask queers that like dyke nights that I would stare at and be terrified to talk to. I finally understood like, oh, I thought they were hot. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it was more of like, oh, this is why a lot of the like femme bottomy women I was hooking up with in college didn't feel right, but not wrong enough for me to be like, maybe I don't, I'm not gay. Like, I don't know. So it just has felt like a refining of and um, deepening of an understanding of who I am. And also I think in leaving my marriage, it was intentional on my part to divest from cishet culture completely to feel like I could like authentically live my values and like my truth in that way. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, It's so I'm just looking over my notes and I have a lot of that I want to pull out and talk to you about. Um, But I just, I do love, I love the idea of like it being less of an explicit coming out and more of a deepening of an understanding of, of who you are. And I think there's so much, I was reading an article um, that you wrote about, um, I'm just going to find this person's name, uh, Molly Weisenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way that you both were talking about um, the narr- the queer narrative and how we're all so um, kind of attached to this one idea of like struggling in a closet and then having this big moment and then everything kind of just like falls into place after that and how that's actually not 
a valid, not, not, sorry, it is absolutely valid, not a story that, that everyone can relate to, um, is what I meant to say. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there are plenty of queer people and, you know, bisexual people and bisexual women who are attracted to straight men, cis straight men. And so I think because there's also all of this, um, assurance that we are not devaluing other people's queerness because they're in relationships with men it was really it took a long time for me to really understand like the nuance there and the difference and that for me I could be attracted to masculine people and not be attracted to cis men um and also I think the level of like ambition ambivalence I felt too which is something that I talked to Molly Weisenberg about you know she wrote this memoir called The Fixed Stars about leaving her marriage um, to a man to be with um, women and, and non-binary people and I I do like I really related to that I I'm not unhappy it was not unhappy in my marriage it was like this is fine mm-hmm. and I think there's so much, particularly in straight culture, and when you talk to women, straight men, women who are married to men who are like, I don't know, the sex is not great, but it's fine. And I don't know, I, I'm not like super enthusiastic about this thing, but it's fine. And there's so much of that. It's so normalized mm-hmm. that I think I just was like, well, this must be what long-term relationships are like. And it was only, you know, when I did. I talked to a friend of mine and was like, I don't know, like, I'm fine, but what am I missing out on if I'm settling? And they, they were like, if you are worried that you're going to miss out on something, you already are. Mm. And that was like a punch in my gut. I felt, I thought, I thought about that every day for a year until I left my marriage. Yeah. That is, that's what a a good friend to say that (laughs) to you. Um, yeah, and to, st- and to sit with that for a year or two feels like a long time to be thinking about, but hey, that's, a, that's, what has, that's what has to happen, I think, sometimes. Like, you know, there have been a lot of times in my journey of coming into my trans identity and my genderqueer identity um, of, like, just sitting with it and thinking about it over and over. And, like, I just started hormone replacement therapy um, in July, and Congrats. it took... Thanks. Uh, years it took of just sitting and then also ignoring and drinking to hide and to not deal with. And then I stopped drinking June 1st and then Congrats. was like, thank you. Uh, and then it all was like, okay, this is something that I, that, that calmness, that stillness that comes with not numbing for me was like, okay, I knew this was something that I needed to be doing and that I've been sitting with. And now that all of that other stuff isn't there, I was like, I got to do this now. I relate to this. So I'm in recovery. Um, I've been sober almost nine years. And I, part of like this journey of realizing that I just like was not into cis men was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out why I didn't want to have sex. And I thought I got sober and suddenly like all my trauma popped up, all the stuff that I hadn't wanted to look at. And I was so focused, you know, I went to couples counseling, my part, my ex and really tried to figure out what's going on and was so focused on like the capital T traumas being the cause of my dissociation 
and struggle. And it was only after I like left and got some clarity and have had great sex with you know other people mm-hmm. that I realized there was like another trauma that I didn't even realize, which was kind of forcing myself to try to have sex with someone to whom I did not, like, I did not yet know that I did not want to be having sex with. And like this, the the dissociation that came with like thinking that this is what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and that kind of, I don't know. It was when I got sober though, like all that stuff came up and I had to look at it. Um, and it was hard to see that there was actually this much more like subtle, thing happening and to sit with I also I want to say when you were talking about just like sitting and thinking about things for a long time Mm -hmm. um so before I told anybody that I was changing my pronouns I had started quietly um saving all these in these I really like big earrings I'm wearing them right now you can see love big earrings And I started saving all of these earrings on Etsy that were like they, them pronoun earrings being like, I wonder who I know that would like these Mm. or um, I wish I could wear these. Like, I wish these were for me Mm. Um, and feeling like I didn't have permission, like they weren't for me. And then um, I gave myself permission to buy a pair and they sat in my jewelry box for weeks before I told anybody or ever put them on. It was like, they just seemed really precious. And also like, I didn't yet have permission. And then when I, when I told people that I was changing my pronouns, a friend of mine sent me this femme fatale shirt, which I love it, like perfectly sums up, like, I think my, my gender identity. Um, and I wore that before I put the earrings on, like someone gifting it to me seemed like permission when like this thing I wanted to like put on myself that I had got for myself still seemed like harder. That was like the hardest piece the most precious that I had to like work up towards yeah thank you for sharing that I you brought up so many really important little nuggets in what you were just sharing and uh, I'm going to work backwards but this idea of permission and this idea of not allowing ourselves to do the things that feel right either consciously or unconsciously um there were I have had so many moments of the similar like I just didn't even know that I could do that like for example I watched an episode of Orange is the New Black. Um, and this is actually one of my Ring of Keys moments of seeing Leah Delaria, who, who I understand to be is a, is a cis woman, but a queer butch woman, but, and was wearing sports bra and like men's boxer briefs. Like as just like, that was her, what she wore. And I, when she took her clothes off in the scene, I was like, I could do that. I didn't, I didn't realize that you could do it just, you know, and it seems so simple and it's like kind of embarrassing to say it. Cause it's like, of course you can do that. But I didn't know, I didn't have that permission. And then once I saw that she did that, I like immediately bought sports bras. This was before I had top surgery, but bought mm-hmm. sports bras and like boxer briefs. And I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I um, had this very years long process of growing out different parts of my body hair and that my armpits were like the last frontier of like traditional ideas of femininity that I was like still like like oh it's so cute on all these other femme people it could never be cute on me my hair is too dark and um the first thing I did when I left my husband was stop shaving under my arms and um 
that was last summer and last winter the the new l word came out mm -hmm. and i went to a viewing party with my friends and in the opening scene of the first episode finley's character is wearing a sports bra and she lifts her arms and she has hair under them yeah. and everyone is cheering and i started sobbing in the <laughs> in the middle of this big like celebratory viewing party which in time of covid i'm like oh my god when are we going to ever have one of those yeah. again yeah. but it was like this moment of like a body that looks like mine and is on screen and just existing and desirable. And like, we don't see like femmes with body hair, like on screen very often. And when we do, it's not in like a way that is desirable. Mm -hmm. um, and that moment like just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, Oh my God. Wow. I didn't know I needed to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild when those things hit us and what, what the thing is that hits. Um, the other, the other, um, the other thing that I wanted to, oh, also, uh, let's just talk about Finley for a second. Cause I, <laughs> I just, uh, there was, um, so for those of you that were the new generation, Finley's a character who I would say has a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like had a visceral hate towards Finley for a lot for most always. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I think it was, it was because I just saw so much of myself in her and was just mm -hmm. like seeing the like binge drinking and the making the really poor choices and then feeling the regret and then doing it all over again the next day. And I just, I, I hated watching it because it was so, true to my experience that it just was it's so real and I was like oh god I can't but then you know but then this is another example of like seeing like fully being aware of realizing that connection and still then having to sit with it for months before I realized I need to stop drinking absolutely because uh, yeah. it, it's not gonna it's not going to for I don't know for me like it's not going to last if it's not something that I come to on my own. Like people can tell you stuff all the time, but if you don't come to the decision or the idea yourself, I feel like it has less weight. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I went to rehab um, because I'd been given an ultimatum. So I, I did have like a window of willingness when I said I would go. And then, you know, that closed pretty quickly and I tried to backpedal after, you know, it was already done. Um, and the people that I was in treatment with, um, or sober living with who have stayed sober were the people that were ready. They wanted to be there and they realized that they needed to be. And for me, the shift happened while I was in treatment. I went from being like, I don't really need to be here to, um, Oh, actually, no, I do. And I want to give this a shot. But if I had not come to that place on my own, I probably would not have stayed sober. Yeah. I'm in this I'm in this place right now where I'm not sure if sober is forever for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really serving me right now. And so I'm, I'm giving myself the permission mm -hmm. to not like make a decision forever. And then just, but right now I don't feel strong enough to drink. Like I don't like in my mind, it's like, what's the point of just one? Mm -hmm. Like just like a beer at dinner or a one cocktail. It's like, for me, it's like, why would you drink to not get hammered? So it's like, right. until that changes in my mind, there's no way I'm going to touch, touch it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I feel that I, um, my current partner 
doesn't drink just because he doesn't like it. And this is baffling to me. I'm just like, uh, on our, before our first date, um, we met on an app and I, he messaged me about like going for apps and me, because I can't imagine that anyone would want to like willingly go on a first drink, first date without alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, my profile said I was in recovery, but I was like, just, you know, if you want to go to a bar and get a drink, like I'm okay with that. And, um, he was like, well, I don't really drink. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, okay. I mean, sure. Yeah. Let's go get coffee. That works better. I don't drink either. But like, I still like almost a decade into sobriety cannot wrap my head around that. There's some people who just like, maybe don't like it. Yeah. I have this group of friends who they just don't drink or like so rarely. And it's like, how, <laughs> why? If you like, if you can control it, do it. I might. I mean, of course that's ridiculous, but I totally, <laughs> I totally like feel that. Um, so, okay. So this other, this other nugget that you said, um, is this idea of like supposed to, and I just did that in quotes mm-hmm. of, um, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I thought this is what it was supposed to feel like. And then once you get a taste of actually, this isn't how it's supposed to be for me. It's like mind blowing when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. My biggest fear was that because, so I had, you know, dated only women, but dated women before, um, I met my husband and it was always like fine, but like, I wasn't, I didn't have any big like loves or like, you know, and so my biggest fear, even though I'm like, I have a much better understanding of like my type and like who I'm attracted to and what that looks like and what I want now, you know, I spent years thinking about it. If I think about it enough, I don't actually have to have the queer sex. I can just think about the queer sex. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but my biggest fear was that I was going to like blow up my life and leave my marriage and then realize I'm not like, again, air quotes here, really queer. Like, yeah. Um, I I have since discovered that straight people don't usually spend years fantasizing about the queer sex they're not having. Like, (laughs) I guess that's not a thing, right? (laughs) But I was like, what if I'm not really queer and I just think about it all the time? (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like a very affirming thing to, um, realize that not only did I want, I like, I personally, like, I, I thought I actually might be asexual when I was married and had sort of accepted that. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm just really, really queer who who knew and it was so affirming like I felt like everything in my life just like opened up and again it's so interesting because I was out as queer like none of my friends this was not a revelation to anyone I was not coming out when I left my marriage and yet that that intentional like shift for me really was incredibly important and affirming and just opened up and validating it just opened up so much mm-hmm. yeah um, I was fully listening to what you were saying, but I also want to quickly go back to body hair. Cause it just, it, I, as part of, I didn't realize I should have known this in one of the side effects of tea, um, mm. that my leg hair is so much thicker and I'm obsessed with it. And I just like had no idea that I would be, it just wasn't <laughs> one of the effects that I ever thought about. Cause I already had grown my leg hair out before. Um, yeah. but now it's like, thicker and like has like a not curl but like you know what I mean I don't know just like texture to I don't know what Mm -hmm. it is but it's like I stare at it way too much like and I I caress it and I love it (laughs) 
I feel this because my personally, my relationship with my leg hair has been, it's taken me like years. I I've had it for years and was very like, eh, I don't like it, but I'm going to keep it. And then I was ambivalent about it. But my armpit hair, I loved the second it started growing in. I'm obsessed with it. I had no idea how hot it was going to make me feel. I like take selfies strategically like place so you can see my armpit hair. It's like a thing that I had no idea I was going to love so much. I'm like, I can't believe I waited this long. And now I have this really hot pit hair. <laughs> I love that. And um, I also, I want to talk about this idea of um, just like opening up and feeling more affirmed in who we are just by allowing ourselves to have the permission to do whatever it is that affirms who we are. Um, and I specifically, like, can, can I talk about the tweet that you tweeted this morning? Sure. Um, I saw it and I just was like, yes, where did it go? Um, oh, so the tweet is that you sent, just sent someone my bio for the first time using they, them pronouns. And is this what people mean by gender euphoria? Because, and then heart eye emoji. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think I was the person you sent your bio to. You were. <laughs> uh, but I love talking about gender euphoria because, and so I just, but you tell me, like, what prompted this and what does gender euphoria feel feel like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, part of the reason I was like, am I, like, non-binary? I still don't know. I guess I'm, like, under trans umbrella because I'm not cis, but it's fine. But I think part of the reason I sort of was like, is this a thing that I can claim is because so much I think around the narrative of transness is this idea of experiencing gender dysphoria in some way. Yeah. And I don't ever think that like that was how I felt. I will definitely say I have often used the phrase, this thing makes my gender feel bad, which probably <laughs> is mm. like some element of right. Um, it's how I explain to my kids why I don't wear dresses or makeup. Um, it, and so there's that. But for me, I think this idea of like coming into myself in terms of my like gender expression and identity, it's felt again that I've resonated more with gender euphoria. Like this feels good. Less about this feels bad for me. Yeah. It's more like I am ambivalent. It's kind of how I feel about she, her pronouns. Like, I know some people, it makes them want to like crawl out of their skin. And I actually don't feel that way about them. I'm pretty ambivalent. And if someone uses them for me, I'm not going to be like mad or feel the need, depending on the setting to like definitely like correct them. Mm -hmm. But it's about like the other, but this feels better, right? Yeah. This just feels good. Oh, that's different. And it's nice. And like, like those earrings I was telling you about the first yeah. time I put them on, I felt I was giddy. When I ordered them, I was giddy at the idea of getting to wear them. Like, and so I think it's, yeah, for me, that feeling of where does my gender fit and am I cis or not also learned probably a lot of cis people don't spend a, like months deciding years thinking about whether they're cis or not. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's something I've heard. <laughs> But not that something just feels like totally wrong and more that this other thing feels really right. Yeah. I think this, this kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier about the, the narrative that we're all taught. Like, this is what it's supposed to be. Like, am I queer enough? Because I, if I don't fit into this particular way of what queer looks like, am I queer enough or am I trans enough? Um, and it's just, and then it also ties into the idea of, 
you know, what you were talking about earlier, which is there was such a, there's not a lot of diversity when it comes to masculine representation in the media and the, in, in any kind of media that we consume. And so it's hard to like know what's, what's possible when it's mm -hmm. not, when, when you don't see it and we're only fed one certain, I mean, we're really, it's like we're fed the like cis narrative even when you're trans, like, it's just like, it has to fit into this one cis normative way of being or heteronormative way of being instead of, you know, allowing for all different kinds of experiences. And that yeah, can be and even, a hindrance for people. Even with femininity, right? Like I, I'd say like my gender identity, like femme really resonates for me much more than like woman ever did. I've always kind of been ambivalent about that classification and like whenever like well-meaning people would send me like the girl power feminism -y stuff I was sort of like this is cute but why are you sending it to me and I, I think I have a better understanding of like why <laughs> yeah. that is now yeah but like femme feels really really good um like that hard femme you know like that you kind of like want them to step on your neck a little bit like that sort of like and you don't like see that the like femmes with body hair right it's so associated with masculinity and like you know dykes which also I think is great but there's just um you don't see it as attractive and desirable and I think back to that that moment on screen with Finley why that was so um uh, impacting for me was because it was one of the first times I saw somebody and I wouldn't call Finley a femme but she's a woman and um yeah, you just kind of don't see femininity that looks like mine either in like mainstream representations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I create, I still am craving more diversity when it comes to queer, <laughs> queerness and queer identities because it's still so one way. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, I went to your, um, what's it called website and mm -hmm. I love the, like I don't know if it's actually flashing but like in big bold um, font I believe in shattering stigma and changing the world through the power of storytelling um, I love that I also feel the same way um, and I wonder so you're a writer are there other ways in which you um, find yourself storytelling besides your writing hmm. I think you know, my writing and also just through like talking to people. Um, in a past life, I was a social worker and a lot of what I did was bear witness to other people's stories too and just like validate them. Yeah. Um, and I think so much of our own like identity formation or ability to under understand ourselves comes from hearing other people's stories um, and, you know, resonating with them and recognizing that you know, we are not alone or somebody else is like us or that just that there are more than there are more ways of being that are possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, this is part of the reason why I love this podcast is because I get to hear from so many different kinds of people and learn about their experiences. And I've had um, a handful of non-binary genderqueer people on and everyone's experience is so different. And I love, I love that, um, just like the connecting and also, like you said, like the creating like a sense of possibility and like, what's even out there? Like what, 
where can I find that permission that I've been looking for, for things? Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, like thinking about just going back to hormone replacement therapy, it's something that I have like thought about forever, but was always way too scared to even let my mind actually really think about it. And when I did, it was like miserable. Um, and I mean, a lot of that is like internalized transphobia for sure. Um, but it's also, cause I think too about, cause I had top surgery four and a half, four and a half years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason that felt less scary than starting hormones. And I, I'm still trying to figure out why I think if you don't know, if you didn't know me, maybe you wouldn't realize that I'd had top surgery, but I guess hormones is really changes is really changing how I'm showing up in the world and how people understand and read me. Um, so that's a big shift. I'm went off on a tangent. I, I remember why I started talking about it, but um, <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I feel like there was a point to it. Um, it'll come to me. Um, um, okay. So do you have a ring of keys moment? So a moment where you kind of like saw yourself in someone else and you're like, Oh, okay. This makes sense. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I thought about this and I don't think I have a good one, but I do think what is funny and I've heard a lot of other queer and trans people say this. So before I knew that I was queer or like really had like words for that. Um, I was very interested in queer and trans people. I thought they were very cool. Mm -hmm. And I was a psychology major in college. So I wrote all of these academic papers (laughs) about like using the terms that was like MLM, you know, men who, or MSM, men who have sex with men. Hmm. And like, you know, um, gender identity disorder is what it was called right in the dsm like back when i was in college and i'm like writing all of these academic papers on queer people like why am i so interested in like queer and trans people Mm -hmm. um i don't know it's so funny to think about now of like clearly like there was an identification happening for me that i just like still had not put together although i do think maybe the closest i've ever gotten to like a ring of keys moment of seeing somebody somewhere that looked like how I would look if I could is watching a simple favor and seeing Blake Lively's character come on screen. Have you ever seen this movie? No, but I'm Googling it right now. (laughs) Okay. So you need to watch this movie and then you need to listen to a simple podcast, which is a limited series that dissects the film from a explicitly queer lens. Um, It's amazing. The film was not, I, I don't know it's pretty gay for not being a gay movie. And if you Google Blake Lively's suits, um, she wore perfectly tailored menswear. And also like the entire movie is her just like topping everyone. Um, And so I had this moment of like, do I want to look like Blake Lively in those suits or do I want Blake Lively in those suits to like spit in my mouth and step on my neck I don't really know but it was like such a like (laughs) oh my god moment when she walked on the screen I like gasped Mm. so I think that's probably the closest that I have I but I also like femtops so it was like a whole like 
moment for me in many ways. Yeah. I definitely need to see that. Just those few images that I Googled, it's like, okay, I need to, I need to know what this is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I haven't had many Jewish people on my podcast, which is, so it's a treat for me to talk to another fellow queer Jewish person. Um, how, how, if at all, does Judaism play a part in your queerness? Oh my goodness. I think that they're, I mean, my Judaism is like a radical values kind of Judaism. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that there is space in Jewish text um, for queerness and gender expansiveness. Um, My partner is also a queer Jew Actually, my pickup line on OkCupid was, you had me at anti-Zionist Jew. So, like, this was (laughs) literally what brought us together. Um, And we, you know, recently joined a shul that's run entirely by queer and or trans rabbis and, like, leaders. And it's been really, really important to me to seek out other queer Jews um, and to find people that looked like me because I think for a really long time, like I grew up in reform synagogue and I don't know, it didn't really fit very well for me. I never saw myself there. I didn't quite understand like the interpretations and the, you know, the way that this, it was taught to me, never resonated with me. I came back to it in sobriety, actually, Mm. um, because I did 12 steps. And I used AA's, like, framework to get sober. And I was really desperate. And I took whatever that looked like. And it worked for me. And then it got to a point where I was like, I have kids. And... I would like them to know what it means to be Jewish because that feels really important. And also there's this like spirituality piece that's hanging out over here and is really tied to some like Catholic Christian stuff that I don't really like, I want to be able to merge those two things, you know? And so it was through that. And then the 2016 election happened. Mm. Um, and anti-Semitism was you know kicking up and it felt like a really important moment of I can hide right now or I can like step forward and be like really really visibly vocally Jewish and I think like that was what that moment called for um particularly also you know as an example for my kids so it has been really really important both to my recovery to my like queer identity but it definitely like finding other queer Jews to be in community with has been key for making me feel like at home in like the ritual and in that space. Yeah. I'm really glad that you have found that community. It's, I think I, so it's so interesting that you kind of, um, I want to talk about the radical values that you brought up, but mm-hmm. we'll come back to that in a second. Um, in 2016, after the election, actually right on election day, I was 
saw a job posting for Kesha at um, New York or Boston because everything was always in Boston and I was in New York. And after, after figuring out that I was a trans person, so I had, just to back up another step, I had completely disconnected myself from Judaism. I also mm-hmm. grew up in a reform community. Um, but, you know, like you said, didn't see any queer people or like representation and didn't see myself reflected anywhere and also didn't understand um, Hebrew and like didn't feel connected to the religion at all. Um, but loved being Jewish and loved that sense of community and um the traditions and just, just, I think it's a feeling, I guess I'm, I'm being interviewed for this documentary called to life and it fo- it's following different kinds of Jews from all over the world. Um, and I'm representing the trans story. Um, and the first question, like the big interview was what does Judaism mean to you? And, and I'm just like, it's a fear. What is Judaism to you or something? And I'm like, it's a feeling. I don't know how to, how to really else to describe it but for me. But anyway, so I digress. So 2016 election, and I'm like, I realized I was missing something really big for my life, and it was my Judaism. I missed Mm it. Um, And I'm just, like, really happy that I was able to to start working at Keshet because that was my first queer Jewish community. And it's, like you said, it's so important to find people who – there's like a baseline of understanding and get it. And then you can focus on whatever else is going on. Um, and then there's a sense of safety too, of just being in a space where you can show up both as yourself, your whole, your whole self as mm-hmm. a queer person and a Jewish person and not have to check one of those at the door. Yeah. I mean, last summer, which like right after I left my marriage, I started organizing with never again action who is doing um, actions against ICE and, um, you know, it's a Jewish-led immigration rights group. And they were brand new. Uh, They just popped up. I, like, went to an action in Boston with my daughter, recognized her Hebrew school teacher there, sent an email that was, like, I have a background in, like, organizing. If you you need anything, let me know. I can throw down. And within weeks, I was, like, full-time. Wow. And, but I had, so I had a ton of organizing experience and activism experience, but I had never done explicitly Jewish activism. Mm. And the first time I walked in, um, I walked into this Airbnb in Washington, DC, where we were planning like a massive action. And it was the first time we'd all been in person together. And I had never met anybody um, in person aside from my kid's Hebrew school teacher. And I walk in and everyone is like super queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that they were all Jewish because it's a Jewish led thing. And immediately my heart just like grew like 10 sizes. I was like, I had just left my, my husband um, like two weeks before. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like where I need to be. And I did it full time for like six months, helping them organize and build. And it was, it felt like the most Jewish thing I could do. Like, I remember we were, I don't know. We had a blockade. We, we shut down ICE headquarters in DC for like five hours and, um, you know, blockade. And we have a rabbi there who's like singing and praying with us as we're blocking the street. And I like, was like, I feel like I'm hanging out with like God right now. Like, I mm. feel like this is just such a spiritual act that I'm doing right now. And an outside observer is like, you are, you know, civil disobedience, blocking traffic, like whatever. And like, I was like, I feel so close to like God, whatever the heck that means right yeah. now. Like this feels like where I'm supposed to be. 
um, which is a little bit maybe of those like <laughs> radical values that we were talking yeah. about. Um, but like literally when I do activism, I'm like, I think of it as hanging out with God. That's what I'm doing. And it feels like super Jewish. It is the most Jewish thing that I can do. I love that. Yeah. There's so much it's so, yeah. And I think about, um, I, I just, I, all we're saying is like, I feel so connected to Judaism mm-hmm. and I also have such a struggle with it. And there's this, um, because yeah, what a huge Jewish value is justice and, you know, tikkun olam and repairing the world and stand, you know, supporting each other. And, um, there have been so many times where I've been hurt because of my queer identity in Jewish spaces where mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't get it. Like I, it's like, it's so tough where it's, so I really do struggle sometimes because it's like, I really do, you know, feel everything you're saying about how, how like close to God or close to this like communal togetherness feels when you are, you know, never again, like the Holocaust, like mm-hmm. this, we can't let this happen again, you know? And, um, but it's a, for me, it's like, it's a real struggle, which also feels pretty Jewish of like asking these questions and really wrestling with, um, what it means. What it oh means. yeah, so Jewish. Question everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then question the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I uh I don't want to do this, but I have to move us into our last segment, um, which is uh just a, a very silly rapid fire question where I I say I ask you a question and you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. It's all fun and games, no right or wrong answers except one, and that's also just for fun. Um, are you ready? All right, let's do it. Okay. Pencil or pen? Pencil. Acting or singing? Oh, God, neither. Great. Uh, dogs or cats? Cats. Beach or mountains? Beach. Meat or veggies? Veggies. Bagels or donuts? Bagels. That's the right answer. Um, train or plane? Train. Sweet or salty? Salty. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Night or day? Night. And favorite kitchen item? Ooh, that's a really good question. Oh, my Le Creuset Dutch oven. Nice. I like to make soup. Oh, cool. Any particular recipe that's like your... Your favorite? Any soup that has fennel in it and is pureed. Okay, nice. Uh, Brittany, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really enjoyed our conversation a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and you, your book, when, when can we expect it? How can we buy it? Tell us all Really, the, all really the good question. Um, it should be publishing maybe uh, fall 2021. Great. That is the expected date, but you know, pandemic. So we will yeah. see. Um, but if you are following me on Twitter, there will definitely be pre-order links when it is available. Excellent. Um, we will, we will follow and uh, thank you so much. Good, well, good luck with the last 13 days. Thank you. I'm very excited. And the book's going to be, Get, there's going to be lots of gay stuff in it, so people should like it. I love gay <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Thank you for coming out. Thanks. Thank you for coming out. 
Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You for Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.